Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersupportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 163 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Today we're going to be discussing how to protect your skin when you're in the snow, uh, talking about La Plan and following on from our Ski Boot special in episode 161, we're going to be looking in detail at Ski Boot Fitting. Now, my name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce our guest today. I am delighted to welcome back uh, Jen Sang, who last appeared in episode 99. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hi, Ian. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for inviting me. And you are in uh, La Plan. Is it very, very cold there? It is pretty cold, actually, and it's staying consistently cold for the last maybe two weeks or so now, which is obviously brilliant news for the snowpack and for the lifts opening this weekend. Excellent. Uh, And also with us today, we have equipment expert Al Morgan from Ski Kit Info. Hi, Al. Good morning, Ian. Thanks for having me on again. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And um, you know, uh, regular listeners will know that I normally start off by asking our guests when they were last on snow. And Al, who has appeared on the show fairly recently, is normally telling us he skied in the snow centre or indoors on snow. But I believe that's changed now, Al. Yeah, yeah. yesterday I was in Obertown in Austria. Austria, And the day before I was in Zaukenzee, which is very close by in Austria. And it was outstanding. <laughs> it, it was incredible. We, we we landed on Monday and everything was pretty green in the valleys and overnight it snowed. Woke up in the morning, everything was covered in snow, skiing, boot top powder, uh, it, sunshine. Yesterday was a bit, the light conditions were more challenging. It was astounding, honestly. They've been doing a great job with snowmaking and it was really reactive, really grippy, fantastic. Cool. That sounds uh, that sounds excellent. Uh, and Jen, you've got snow outside your door. I know the lifts haven't opened yet. Have you uh, been out on it at all? I walked the kids to school this morning <laughs> on the snow. <laughs> uh, but no, I haven't had a chance to put my skis on yet. But as I said, the lifts open on Saturday, so Saturday the 10th. Um, and I will be in the queue for the first lift opening in the morning. Excellent. Excellent. Very jealous to uh, to hear that. Well, uh, the Three Valleys has already opened up now. Val Terenz, uh opened a couple of weeks ago. Of course, Cheval uh, opened last weekend. Just a reminder that the ski podcast is sponsored by Les Trois Valais. It's the largest ski area in the world. And some interesting stats came to me via Patrick Thorne. Uh, listeners will recognise him as the author of Around the World in 50 Piece. He appeared in episode 162. I found it fascinating to learn that the number of lifts in the Three Valleys are peaked at 220. But now there are only 160. And that is essentially because as technology has progressed, they've added in bigger, faster, longer, uh, more comfortable uh, lifts. So there are fewer lifts still serving 600 uh, kilometers apiece. And they can actually cover, uh, carry, excuse me, 300,000 uh, skiers per hour. It really is quite amazing there. I will be there next week. I'm quite excited about that. 
But as we mentioned, ski resorts are uh, opening. Today we're recording this on the 8th of December. And we do have a few snow reports from some of our uh, regulars. I think we have four to uh, bring you. Uh, Chris Moran from Intersport Ski Hire is in Courcheval on their opening day. Uh, Dave Burrows from Snow Pros Ski School was out in Chavinia. Uh, Keith Webb uh, in Caprun and Bethany Garner uh, went over to Cormier and skied over there. So let's have a listen to those. Hi, Ian. Chris Moran here from Intersport. So you asked me to give you a little bit of an update as we were out in Courcheval yesterday for the opening day on the 3rd of December. Um, yeah, OK. So, well, I mean, you know, it was a really amazing day. Snow depth is, is pretty good. I mean, all the pieces are like really looking like pieces. Um off-piste it was a little bit rocky you know but it is literally the opening day so that's always to be expected um great thing was is it was really cold so we went up to the i think the highest point we went to was the Salir, so probably about 2600 and it was probably about minus 10 so felt really really wintry uh it was actually snowing yesterday it's clear again today but there is more snow on the way this week um and uh, I mean, I suppose the, the really cool thing was that the atmosphere was amazing because, you know, COVID is a story which is not really being talked about. And it just feels very, very normal, like it was in seasons gone by. And there's just a buzz again in resort, you know, people are happy. Um, we've got Meribel and the rest of the Three, three Valley links opening this weekend and Paradiski is also opening as well. So, you know, it just feels like things have got back to normal and uh and that's kind of what everybody has been waiting for for you know a few few seasons now um as i say more snow on the way and there is this really cold snap which is expected which is fantastic news because it isn't a dry cold snap there is some storms coming in with it so i think if you'd booked pre-christmas or even for christmas and new year then you know you're going to have a pretty amazing trip for this um for the next few months and um yeah so, you know, I think it's pretty good news in general. All right, take care, mate. Talk to you soon. Hello, Ian. It's Dave Burrows from Snow Pro Ski School. I am in a different place today. I am in Chavinia in Italy. So it's my birthday today. And I, uh, every year, I take a trip over to Valtonecce and I get the lift up and I try to ski to Chavinia and back, have a nice lunch in Chavinia and go home again. So I'm on the homeward leg. I'm sharing a lift with new instructor to the ski school this year, Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Hi. And um, we are, yeah, we, I'll tell you what, the snow over here, Gabby, is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, Gabby's a bit shy, so <laughs> and she doesn't really want to talk very much, but she's, um, it snowed, I think, the last three days over here on the on the south side of the, the sort of the Alpine range where we are. Um, so we had nice weather over on, on the Swiss side, but over here it's, it's dumped down, and then it's all cleared, beautiful blue sky, Fresh snow everywhere. Peace are in great condition. Like, Gabby skiing around, getting her hand down on the floor. There's so much grip. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? What do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> That's it. That's all you're going to get. It's good. So, uh, it looks like this side of the this side of the Alps, the Italian side, um, Chavinia, which links into Zermatt, of course, is ready for the season. Loads of snow. It's all in great condition. We've had a great day. Peace here are amazing they're like wide open nice steepness you don't have to skid too much you can just ride your edges all day right uh, <laughs> it's uh, like a dream <laughs> yeah so uh yeah that's it snow report from Chavinia. we're having a great time in the sunshine i hope you're having a lovely time great work you're doing on the podcast as usual i will see you soon thanks buddy bye
Hi Ian, Keith Webb here with a snow report for ZLMZ and Caprun area. Uh, Kitstainhorn Glacier uh, has been open since the beginning of October with racers and uh, tra ski instructor training going on and uh, the snow has been accumulating gradually having filled in some of the uh, lost ice from the uh, summer heat wave. A lot of the European glaciers took a real beating this year. Um, the snow making up on the glacier, which is quite sad to say, um, has uh, refilled a lot of the lost uh, conditions and everything is open all the way down to uh, Langvid. So his fresh powder fell yesterday so everything is really looking quite nice and the skiing is fine. The odd stone yeah, sort of floating through so um, just have to watch out for that. It does need a, a bit more snow. Another um, big dump is required just to consolidate everything. Um, ZLMZ area uh, opens tomorrow, the 8th of December, and uh, they've been furiously snow making as well on the lower slopes, trying to fill in all the gaps. Uh, but uh, at the summit level, everything is, uh, is looking good. Um, in the wider area, Salbach is also open. Uh, last week it was limited skiing in Salbach, but now it's uh, they're opening a lot more runs, and you can ski both sides of the valley and down uh, into Liogang, I believe. So yeah, the area has good skiing. Um, it's quiet still, so if you've got the time, come on over. You get some early skiing, early season skiing, and it's um, the conditions are nice. Hope you guys can make it, and uh, Ian, congratulations on the uh, winning this uh, podcast award. Cheers now, bye. Hi Ian, it's Bethany, um, sending us a report from Cormier in the Ice Valley. I popped through the tunnel from uh, Mont Blanc Valley this morning, and I tell you what, the piece are in really, really good condition. It's super cold over here, and there was a little bit of fresh snow on Sunday night, um, and the piece, particularly in the shaded areas, are skiing really well. The snow cover, however, is quite thin. There isn't much off-piste, and lower down there isn't much snow, um, but it's not too bad. I think we're moving in the right direction, and yeah, cruising around the piece it's uh it's pretty good so very happy back on skis very happy it's the start of the winter and fingers crossed for that snow so if you are out in the mountains uh this winter i think it's uh it's important to make sure that you are protected from the sun and so let's start off this episode this week with an important chat i had uh earlier this week with michelle baker from the melanoma fund about their new snow sports campaign Great. Well, I'm delighted to have with me today uh, Michelle Baker from the Melanoma Fund and Tim Fork from Snowsport England. Uh, hi there, guys. How are you? Very well, actually, looking out on a crisp December day. So uh, in good spirits. <laughs> exactly. It's, get, it's getting colder. What about yourself, Tim? Yep, getting colder. Looking forward to the season and looking forward to uh, the first Slalom World Cup of the weekend coming up. Right. OK, well, we're not going to be talking about racing just now. There's a reason, yeah. Michelle, I wanted to have you on because you're CEO of the Melanoma Fund. And uh, I know um, I think I came across through Snowsport GB some information about it. And I wondered if you'd just like to give us so, some background to that, why it's important that skiers and snowboarders should be mindful. Yeah, certainly. Well, to be honest, um, it's it's actually everybody. But what we do is focus on those in sport 
for, for good reason. Um, athletes, all sports people, from snowboarders to runners to, to bikers, are, have something in common, and that is they're under the same sun. Now, if you are a keen athlete, you will train outdoors in all weather and you protect yourself from the rain and the cold. But do you protect yourself adequately from the sun? And most of the time, people don't. There's good reason. There isn't good reason, but there is reason for this. Um, it's due to habit and also that sort of mm, that deep down desire to want to get that healthy tan Um there's no such thing as a healthy tan, but wanting to get that tan. So people often often forget sun protection. Um, and it's sort of endemic in our society, especially for, with us Brits. You know, if you go abroad and the, you know, the sun is consistently strong, you'll get that habit. But because our weather is up and down and fluctuates, when it does come out, we get caught out. So we protect and raise awareness of sun protection in sport because it really is something that is, is not done at the moment. And, you know, you know, you mentioned sport, but thinking about skiing and snow sports in particular, evidently the fact that we're practicing our sport at altitude makes a significant difference in terms of protecting yourself from the sun. That, that's absolutely true. Um, obviously, every thousand feet you go above sea level, the UV intensity increases by about five to six percent. So multi that by the altitude you're at and you're going to be receiving about 47 percent more intense UV radiation, which makes a big difference to your skin. Now, you can't see this radiation or feel it. But believe me, it will be affecting your skin. Yeah, it, it, perhaps uh, to summarise, what are your what are your uh, simple bits of advice for skiers and snowboarders this winter to protect themselves? Well, very simply, we've come up with an idea. It's all about reapplication, so it's a reapplication rule. Unbelievably, you think that in summer, in you know, the, the the sun and the water and the heat will sweat off your sunscreen, but actually, in fact. In the cold, it will disappear quicker. Um, really? So what we're saying is reapply. Every time you stop, if you get on the ski lift, if you you know you get off and you readjust at a different different uh, point in the slope, then reapply where you can. Get a good quality SPF, something that's not runny, something that's nice formulation, and reapply. Um, and that's what we're saying is getting to that habit. Just getting into the habit of using sun protection is really really important. Cool. And uh, one of the reasons uh, uh, you asked uh, Tim to join us today is Snow Sports England. You're working with the Melanoma Fund. How are you going to be going about promoting these messages this winter, Tim? I guess, first off, it's just feel it's hugely important to support this. We want you know people to enjoy their snow sports, but in a safe way. And this is part of it. So very much we'll be uh, working with with Michelle to promote the, these key messages and I think um, personally the reapply rule is something that is I think most snow sports enthusiasts will probably know that they probably haven't reapplied it is tricky sometimes when it's cold out there um, uh, and so I think there's some key points here that actually aren't common knowledge and I'm at snow sport England we want to make sure that that message is out there with our athletes but also our coaches and the wider recreational market that that, that ski and snowboard so um, you know I've had personal experiences of being an athlete a coach uh, a parent now and there's chat all sorts of challenges whether you you you, you got your kid out there who's cold who's in their gloves their hats and everything else and then you've got to think about the sun cream as well and it's so it, it, you know it isn't straightforward so i do think you know it isn't just in the morning where you you put it on actually you've got to make sure you you do it through the day i mean i've i think most people who skied uh a lot of their lives will have burnt themselves at some point. Uh, and, and actually, it doesn't always 
when it's sunny. So uh, you still get the UV when it's cloudy and you, you, the bright the brightness and then uh, reflections from the clouds and the sun can get you as well. Yeah, Snow. sadly, I have to uh, admit that uh, I am one of those people who uh, made that mistake. I was about 14 at the time. We were on holiday in Chavinia. And, uh, you know, clearly 14, not going to listen to my mum at that sort of point. It was an overcast day. And I thought, well, there's no way I'm wearing sun cream. And I completely burnt my face so badly. This is really terrible to admit this now. But I had to basically wear a bandana, you know, for the rest of the week because it was awful. And, you know, I've never had a problem with wearing sun cream again since then. Yeah, I have to say sunburn is is not is not good. It does increase your risk of melanoma in later life. So you've got to be really careful. Um, and, you know, we have to say that. And, and, and as Tim mentioned, young children are really susceptible. They don't think about that. They're too engaged in other activities, as most of us are when we're doing sports. So it's up to those parents to lead by example. You know, if they're putting it on, then the children will pick up those habits. Children do as we do, not as we say. So let's be responsible here. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It's not always having having um, uh, tried to persuade my children to put sun cream on. I think the easiest way to do it is that ideally try and give them the responsibility as early as you can to do it yourself, uh, to do it themselves and to watch them or to make it into a game. Certainly, uh, you know, there can be some friction. Uh, there has been some friction at times in, in persuading them to get that sun cream on. Uh, have you found that, Tim? Uh, yeah, I think it's not always uh, not always straightforward, especially when they're young. I think also we have to mention that sun protection is not just about your SPF 30. You know, a helmet, goggles, your long thermals, some good gloves, they all serve as really good sun protection. They should be the first line of defence. So, you know, good UV goggles. And if you're changing over to UV glasses, you've got that area of your skin that hasn't been sun protected. Make sure you protect that. You know, your helmet, obviously, you're protecting your head. You're also protecting your skin. That's true enough. And uh, I've got one more confession to make. This one is actually from uh, my last uh, ski holiday, which is in April. And one day it was like it was pretty hot at that uh, time of year in Ladies Out where we were. And one day you know, we weren't skiing very fast because uh, I was just skiing with the family. Uh, so I just wore a baseball cap for the day. But foolishly, I hadn't been paying attention. It was a mesh hat. And uh, I'm in a similar uh, situation in relation to uh, Tim, as far as my uh, <laughs> so as far as my head is concerned. And it actually burnt me through the mesh uh, on the hat. I'd really, you know, I had sun cream all over my face, and I just forgot about my head. Uh, so again, yeah, won't be doing uh, that one again either. Uh, Michelle, that that's brilliant. Thank you very much for that message. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put some links into the show notes. People can look out for those messages and take it on board for uh, for this winter. So thank you very much for your time today. Guys, thank you so much. That's all great. Brilliant. Perfect. Cheers, Ian. Thanks a lot. So that's important. Hopefully you've been able to pick up a few learnings from that. Now, Jen, it's great to have you back on the show. I wanted to have you back on so we could discuss some of the changes that the plan have confirmed with the Belcott Glacier, uh, which I read about recently. Do you want to explain what those plans are and, and kind of what the reasoning is behind it? Yeah, so they have made the decision in the last, well, made public the decision, I should say, in the last few weeks <laughs> to um, reduce the height of the glacier or how high you can now ski. I don't say now, you can ski in La Plan. So they're very proud of the fact that they're one of the ski resorts that has skiing over 3,000 metres. And they're going to maintain that, but they are going to reduce the access to the glacier. So this year will actually be the last year where you can get all the way up to the top 
peaks of the glacier at the moment. So if you know the Laplansky area well, you've got the glacier chairlift and the Traverse chairlifts at the top of the glacier, and they take you all the way up to about uh, just under 3,500 metres. Um, and over the next few years of work, finishing by 2025, they're going to reduce the access to that those peaks of the glacier. And it is basically to preserve the glacier conditions because of global warming and because of the, the snow level and the permafrost getting damaged up there. So that is the, the kind of the long term plan over the next few winters. So I find that really interesting. Like a lot of resorts, you know, want to promote the fact they've got higher skiing. And you'd think that in a situation where we have global warming and let's say snow, the snow level is creeping higher, that resorts would want to ensure that they still had skiing at the highest level. But in this case, La Plan is, is bringing the top of their skiing level down slightly. Yeah, I mean... I think the decision honestly is twofold. I think it's a business decision, partly, but I also do think it's an acknowledgement of our changing climate and conditions. Um, in October, we saw a huge landslide up on the glacier of about 10,000 tonnes of ice and rock and permafrost really changing the landscape up there. And wow. so I think that's why they have come out and publicly said, look, the conditions are changing so much that realistically these chairlifts aren't going to be accessible in the coming years anyway. And we need to make some pr proactive changes and make sure that we can kind of preserve not just the skiing area, but also the glacier for generations to come. Um, so a big part of what they're looking to develop up there at the 3000 meter level is um, access for pedestrians and non-skiers as well as skiers. Um, and they want to create a real kind of focal point and education centre to really talk about the glacier and the conditions, you know, historically what was what, what it kind of looked like up there and what it looks like now and, and why there are these differences. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how that kind of grows and promotes. I know they're quite keen to get, um, you know, to start educating the children from a younger age as well. And it's not just about kind of aiming it at adults and, and the parents, as it were. It's starting the, these younger ages and kind of bringing up this new generation of skiers who really understand the environment and how to kind of preserve it and protect it. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that when I looked at their press pack uh, this year, the, literally the first line of their press pack is how can we significantly cut our carbon footprint? So I'm thinking that La Plan, uh, if I recall correctly, they don't have the, the kind of flock on their accreditation yet, but I'm thinking that they are, you know, in the stages of, uh, of taking different steps to try and reduce their uh, carbon footprint. Yeah, from my understanding of their kind of um, the um, environmental element in La Plan is that years and years back, I think they were quite ahead of the game in comparison with some of the other resorts as to what they were trying to do. But then I think momentum is not necessarily stalled, but it hasn't kind of been promoted or it's not been a priority, although it's kind of been ticking away in the background. And I know that efforts have now revamped to try and like get the flock on their accredit accreditation in the future years. Certainly, that is interesting. And listen, if you're not familiar with that, there's an organisation in France called Mountain Riders. They uh, have an accreditation called Flock en Vert, which different resorts can apply for. And the threshold is pretty high to be able to uh, get it. But what's really interesting is, you know, since the, uh, the early years, I mean, there were only 
um, three, four, five, then half a dozen resorts, and then another six resorts have been accredited uh, in the last year. And they've also changed the structure of it from one flock on, two flock ons, three flock ons as well. So once a resort has their first level of accreditation, they can take extra steps to move further up that ladder. And I think only two of the resorts at the moment, um, off the top of my head, Chamonix is one of them. I can't remember the other one now. I've been given that second uh, flock on. It's a, r- a really good way of being able to judge what kind of measures uh, resorts have in place. And, you know, and a big advantage of La Plan uh, as well is obviously in the Tarantes Valley there, you can travel by train, you know, quite uh, easily. Uh, to, you can hop off the train in M and go up to a resort from there. Cool. That's really interesting, Jen. Thanks so much for that. Uh, and I'm really hoping that uh, once you get out there on the snow, maybe you can send us in a couple of snow reports as well. It'd be really good to hear what's going on and how things are in La Plan this winter. Yeah, 100%. We're looking at some really big snowfall coming in, I think, from tonight and through the weekend. So I think the lifts are opening and it's going to be a a heavy snowfall weekend. Excellent. Well, that's very exciting. Uh, And exciting as well. I mentioned I'm going out to the Alps. So hopefully I'm going to be able to, or I will be able to test the new ski boots uh, that I got. Uh, now I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned in episode 161, the ski boot special. I was looking at getting new boots. Now I am lucky enough to be in regular contact with Al Morgan, uh, from Ski Kit Info. And after a lot of discussion, you know, Al kind of looked at what I was interested uh, in, which is something that I could go ski touring in and go alpine skiing in uh, as well. And we settled on the Atomic Hawks Prime XTD 130 CTGW. Uh, is the official uh, model there. Uh, Al, you asked me a lot of questions about what I was looking for, you know, Monday Point and my my current boots. So how did, you know, everything I told you kind of lead us towards this? I thought I'd just choose the most difficult ski boot name that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit, of a, a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? So, but yeah, well, the main thing was you are a skier and you ski your, you know, the boot that you're in before the Lang boot was is a really supportive, really strong, powerful boot. So it gave me an idea of the of what of the skiing that I don't know how you ski and obviously all the, all these things. So it, it's really easy to fall in the trap of going on a really you wanted something with a touring function. And if you fall in the trap of going, oh well, I'm gonna go super lightweight, you can really sacrifice the skiing performance. You have to ski the skis in a really different way. But if you want one boot to take her out for various things for when you were doing you know journalistic work or whether you're going out with a family and kids you want a boot that's going to do all of it you want that support and skiing function and that's where this crossover category of boot works fantastically well there are brilliant boots you know Tenaga coaches the lang xt boots the the, the list goes on you know rosie all brands pretty much have a boot in 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 this category but for your fit we wanted something with a, a medium last so, you know, that width, that kind of 100 mil, four foot width and that, that instep height. So that's, you know, you had a lot of work done on a narrow boot before. So you want to give you a bit more comfort to help with the touring. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the last uh, listener. You might remember from our ski boot special that Colin uh, Martin, one of, it, one of the phrases I really liked that he gave us was the last mm. comes first. <laughs> so that's where we started with, with the last, you know, and that gave you a feel, you know, for, for my feet uh, as well. And just to, you know, all of those, all of those initials that came after the brand, we've got the Atomics Hawk Prime, Hawks Prime, that's easy to understand. 130 is the the flex isn't it yeah i understand yeah. now that the gw at the end stands for grip walk because those soles yeah. they're kind of like got a camber on them haven't they they're designed yeah. to make it a bit easier to walk 
Yeah, so so I could go on all day about cells. There's a lot, <laughs> lot of history here, but essentially, normal ski boot has a flat, hard plastic sole. They are terribly slippy, but they give great power into the ski when you're skiing. And then you had a touring cell, which is curved and grippy, but you didn't get great power to the ski. And then, so MDV, Marco Dalbello Volkel, came up with this innovation called Grip Walk. It kind of came off the back of Walk to Ride by Salomon and Atomic and things. But this is this this has really hard plastic areas that integrate with the binding. You get fantastic safety of release, but it's curved a bit like a touring sole, which is what it was based on originally. Um, so you've got fantastic safety and you've got enhanced walking. It's grippy, it's rubber. And as of this season, it's got its own standardization. So now there's no worries about people hand-making grip walk soles, not going to work with bindings, et cetera. So yeah, there's a norm, two, three, double two, three. Nobody's ever going to remember that. I need to. <laughs> uh, but these are the perfect sole to give you excellent skiing performance and make it much easier to walk about. And it's not just about touring function. You get it in regular downhill boots and most boots have it now. Well, uh, you know, I was very impressed with it when I was walking uh, around the uh, shop. And dare I ask what the, you know, XTD or CT stand for? Do they actually yeah, yeah, okay. Or? So, yeah, Prime's Air Moderate Last. XTD is Extend. So it lets you know that, oh, this is a boot. It's not just about skiing. It's about I can go and hike in it or I can do touring in it. Yeah. So it's got a little okay. lever at the back. Little yeah. lever. It's quite a big metal lever. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so what was the other one? CT, Complete CT. Tech. They offer some of the lower flex boots. In these XTD families, they have only pin inserts at the toe to work with things like marker king pins and uh, atomic or Salomon or Armada shifts, um, and then marker Duke PT. But complete tech means it's got inserts, toe, and heel, so you can use it in. It just means this boot will work in pretty much any binding. It's great. Cool, excellent. Well, that a very thorough uh, explanation. Hmm. And, you know, full disclaimer from me, uh, thanks to Al, I got a really good deal on, on these boots. There's no way I could afford them uh, myself. But, you know, I ha- I did try them on recently because last week I went up to Profeet, the ski boot specialist in uh, Fulham, to have these boots customised uh, to my foot. Now, I've done this once before. I mentioned this in episode 161. That is such a detailed process. Uh, I've tried them on now i haven't skied in them yet but they are unbelievably uh comfortable so uh, my master boot fitter who looked after me was uh, sam jones let's have a listen to uh, how it all went right so i've now arrived in pro feet to have the boots uh, properly uh, fitted and i've got master boot fitter sam jones with me hi sam you right yeah i'm all good thanks how are you yeah good so i've tried the boots on as i said remarkably uh, comfy for a first fit but I um, just wanted to clarify, so that what we're going to do now, what's your advice that I should be doing next before we do anything so else? So I'd say the first thing we want to do is we want to keep you in the boots for a few minutes, see how things develop when you're just kind of moving around in the boots, if anything changes from when you first put them on to five-ish minutes later. Then the next step we're going to do is we're going to go back and just do a straight shell check. We're going to get both your feet in the shell of the boots, check there's enough space in generally the whole area, if there's any close points or any looser areas. Um, and then also we want to check that you've got enough space within the boots so we can put your carbon soles in yeah. as well. Um, once we've done all that and everything's looking okay, we've decided what modifications we're going to do, whether it's to the shell, to the liner or anything else. Yeah. And we'll jump straight into making you some insoles. Cool. 
That's brilliant, Sam. Okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll walk around in them. <laughs> something I don't really like doing, but actually I have noticed with these boots, something to do with the camber on the, uh, on the mm-hmm. uh, base of the boot makes it okay. slightly easier. It's sort of a, like a, a rocker to it. I'll have to ask Al about that. So, yeah, with these ones and basically every boot from last year and from now onwards, everything is going to a grip walk base sole. Yeah. So you've got a little bit of rocker through the toe, just yeah. generally makes walking a bit easier. And the compounds in the material are a little bit softer as well, so you yeah. genuinely have a bit more grip when right. you're moving around. Um, and the other thing is going to be in some of the boots that maybe you've had previously, some of the upper cuff alignment, depending on how your leg sits in it. And we can check that as later. As yeah, well. cool. All right, that's brilliant. Let's have a little walk around. So that was really interesting. Just been wearing them for five to ten minutes now, just walking around, letting my feet uh, get used to them. And, and it is interesting. You know, you obviously, uh, it's not comparable with being on the uh, slopes. But you do get a much better feel for what's going on. And so I noticed on my uh, right foot, uh, kind of around the, uh, the edge of uh, the, the outside edge of the widest part, I was feeling a bit of pressure on the boot there. And then actually just thinking about it on my left uh, shin, slight bit of pressure, maybe to do with the tongue. And, you know, Sam's given me a few ideas. What do you, what do you think uh, we've got here and how can we tackle that? Um, so starting with the right foot, just a little bit of pressure on sort of the fifth metatarsal head. So that should be honestly a fairly easy thing. Stretch the shell a little bit, give your foot generally a bit more space to sit um, and then heat mold that liner. That should generally be a pretty good fit after that. Uh, with the left foot in regards to the shin, looking at it and once we've opened the boot up and seen where you've identified the pressure and what we're going to do, it looks mostly like the profile of the liner. We just need to heat it up, shape it and get it more in line with the profile of your leg rather than the, how it's set out. Of yeah, I think we established I've got uh, funny shaped shins. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a sharp line but a little bit kind of yeah. concaved in. So yeah. yeah, we'll get that tongue heated up, shape yeah. it to your leg a little bit more nicely. Um, that should, I think, resolve most of it, and if not, we can always do a bit more. Yeah, cool. All right, that's brilliant. Thank you. So Sam's just uh, uh, pulled out the uh, liner and then the insoles as well. Those insoles look a bit flimsy. Uh, what do you What do you think? Are, you know, the best use of those is most of the standard insoles that come with the boots are honestly designed to be a general fit, which basically means they fit almost nobody. Um, most of the time they are good for a spare or for using for sizing up for making a different insole whether it's a full custom or even just an off the shelf anything's going to provide more support uh, for the foot overall um, honestly these are good for insulating you from the bottom of the boot and that's about it yeah yeah okay excellent well we're going to uh, sort out some custom insoles just now so that'll be our next step Right, we've moved through another couple of stages, just did the pressure scan over there, which I found quite encouraging because apparently my centre of balance is roughly where it should be. <laughs> yeah, so we can see from the scans that your centre of mass is pretty much on the midline, which is where we'd want everyone to be. Um, a little bit more weight in the heels uh, rather than in the forefoot, but nothing out of the ordinary, nothing that we'd need to really worry about. Yeah, so now we're moving on to the insoles and actually creating them. Uh, which is a view to you know, distributing the weight uh, through the ski boot itself. So we're about to, you've got my, my feet out, been brave enough to, uh, to 
uh, flex them around a little bit and have a look at that. Just looking at, I think, uh, uh, how the insole was, uh, uh, excuse me, how the instep was reacting. Is that right? Yeah. So before we take the moulds, I just want to see how the foot moves around. So how the arch moves, how rigid the foot is, how mobile the foot is. Um, if there's any impingements on one foot versus the other that we'd have to account for in the insole. Now what we're going to do is move you on to the stage of actually taking the mould themselves. So what we're going to do is we've got your feet placed in where I want you to be, that nice kind of parallel ski stance. In a second we're going to get you to stand up, go into a slight ski position with toes raised. That's going to activate the arch a little bit more, keep the foot in a more structured stance. And what we're going to do with a little bit more weight on the forefoot than the heel, somewhere in the region of like 60% to 40%, we're going to turn the air on on the bags. Everything's going to go nice and soft, kind of like you're standing on wet sand. You're going to sink down into them. You're going to push the foot in just to set the mold initially, turn the vacuum on, and then within a minute or so, we'll have the shape of the bottom of your feet in the mold of the bags. Cool, that's great. And just to clarify then, you said to kind of try and put a bit more uh, of the weight through the front and that is because there's a, a natural incline in the boot itself right yeah so all ski boots have a natural ramp angle where the forefoot sits ever so slightly lower in the boot than the heel does yeah um, and we want to try and match that as best as we can yeah. so that everything matches up quite seamlessly yeah with cool the fit. all right let's go for it right so sam's been uh, busy he's done a, a couple of modifications uh, on the boot uh, and shape the uh, the insoles as well and then we've just tried putting that all back together with the calves in the bottom as well with a you know an extra bit of uh, padding to allow for that space just molding the tongue of the boot as well to uh, to my calves and um, what were the modifications you did on the boots remind me so on the right boot like we talked about in the beginning we did just a slight stretch on the sort of fifth met yeah. uh, within the shell so actually just physically making the boot a bit bigger yeah uh, and then on both feet we've added just a soft foam pad on top of your instep. Yeah. It's going to help to compress that tongue down, give you a bit more general volume on top of the foot to yeah. account for the carve going in because yeah. that's going to add somewhere in the region of sort of two to three millimetres yeah. of space. Um, and we want to make sure that when that goes in, you're still comfortable on top of the foot. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I, I had a little walk around and just now, you know, they obviously feel different from how they did before. From what you said, a little bit of pressure coming through yeah. on the arch the front half of the arch in yeah. the right foot so what we're going to do is take the insole out remove a little bit of the reinforcement that we put in and put it back in try it yeah. back on yeah. see how you go cool we've wrapped up now thanks so much yeah. sam that's no been worries. absolutely brilliant we uh, you know everything's been fitted it now feels like really comfy all the modifications have been made and you put the carving for me as yes. well which made life a, a bit easier and you said you've done a few of those now yeah so that's probably like five or six of those calves so yeah. kind of dialed in the process now we yeah. know how to adjust for them to make sure it's still a comfortable fit afterwards. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was just that slight tweak to your insole, take a little bit of more of that support off to make it comfortable on that right foot. Yeah. And we're all done and you're ready to go. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I'll be skiing hopefully in like about three weeks' time, so I'll let you know how nice. it goes. I'll Thanks again. No worries. Thanks. So that was an amazing experience. You know, it just is so good at Profi. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that because they fitted me for free, which they uh, which they did. But yeah, I've been involved with Profi for years. And, uh, you know, regular listeners will know that I've done a lot of running, a lot of ultra marathons uh, in the Alps. And I have custom insoles in all of my running shoes. And, you know, touching wood, been very lucky considering the volume of running I've done. I haven't had, you know, many or any uh, injuries, really. So they are so comfy 
but I'll report back in the next uh, episode as to how they feel on the slopes. Carve itself, I will test uh, as well. Obviously, for touring itself, it's not going to be uh, so useful. You know, I'm not so much the sort of person who likes to kind of go up and down the same regular piece again and again. But I will do a bit of that because I'm really interested to see uh, what happens with that. Now, Al, I do have another question for you yeah. uh, while you're with us. In our ski boot special, there was a bit of chat about uh, socks. And we had a sock question uh, via Snowheads from Bob in CH. And he said he was interested in why the recommended choice of sock material, which could be like merino, silk, man-made, differs depending on the individual. Do you have uh, an answer to that at all? Yeah, and it can come down to many things. So physiology, uh, allergies, price point, warmth, all, all these things. So the easy easy one to get out of the way is probably allergies. Merino wool is a fantastic material. It gives great insulation. It doesn't get stinky like synthetics can when if you've worn it for, let's say, you're going to ski in it in two or three days. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a factor. But some people don't get on with wool. So for some people, it will work. Some people won't. Um, merino wool socks can be a higher price point as well. And then... If you, you can't have just pure merino, the sock wouldn't last very long at all. So you have to have synthetics in there. Generally, one thing is to give that compression hold. So you tend to have elastane things like that in it to, to, to kind of give that keep that shape. Um, and it makes it far more durable if you have it mixed with synthetics. And then some people don't get on with synthetics. They, they can make it feel like it, they're in a plastic bag because, you know, it's a plastic. Um, but some people, they find the warmth and the comfort in the synthetic so that it works really well for them. Excellent. Well, that's a very uh, thorough answer. Uh, Jen, I think you're a snowboarder, uh, aren't you? What What's your uh, sock choice? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I am a snowboarder and um, merino wool socks, definitely. And I, I do find it's worth spending a little bit more. I think when I started out doing my first seasons, I would just nip to TK Maxx and get some tube socks or something like that. And they would they just didn't they don't do the same job they do kind of fall down inside your boots they don't provide the same level of comfort and they do stink <laughs> at the end of the day um and also they keep your feet so much warmer than merino wool socks just inside your snow boots when you're out and about for at prey ski and things like that so merino yeah well i don't know if you listen to the ski boot special uh, 161 but but tube socks weren't very popular in that were they alex <laughs> no, no they're I'm dismissed straight away <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I've got a question for you, Jen. How smug do you feel in snowboard boots when you see people struggling in plastic ski boots? Yeah, very, very <laughs> smug. <laughs> the whole time you've been talking, I was just thinking you're never going to make your ski boots as comfortable as my board boots. <laughs> well, thankfully, they're a lot better now. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I always like that conversation. So episode 161, it really did get a lot of uh, interest from people. We had a bunch of comments in the last uh, episode and people saying they really enjoyed it. It's provoked a lot of questions as well. Now, I can't actually see in my notes where this question came from. There's a question about uh, the actual footbeds. Now, we kind of established that the footbeds that come with boots these days, you know, Colin dismissed them. They're not really, uh, you know, worth using at all. You know, I went to Brophy and had custom footbeds made. But the question here is, it says, that unless your foot is particularly difficult, do custom footbeds offer a significant benefit over, let's say, a regular kind of super feet, uh, blue or red footbed? It's interesting. I, I always ski in customs. I, I love a custom. Uh, my wife skis in super feet regular off the shelf. They work really well for her foot shape and for what she wants. And they do a fantastic warm option. And, and for her, to, she struggles with colder feet. That is 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 brilliant. Some of it, I will it will come back to price point because footbeds can be really expensive when you get a custom if they need a lot of work on them. 
you know, approaching a kind of medical or orthotic, that will get really, really pricey. So that does come down to it a, a, a little bit, but it can make a real difference because a really good boot fitter can do incredible things with a handmade custom footbed to give you more dampening, you know, just allow your foot to work in a more natural way. It is a bit more of a one shape fits all if you get an off the shelf. Yes, there are different versions, but they can be a bit more constructed. Some of them like greens, Superfeet greens are quite thick. So I go with blues if I'm going to use my carbons because they're thinner and they work in my boots, which are really tight, really snug. Um, so it comes down to many factors. If you have a regular removable footbed from the boot brand, virtually no support. So the, the next best thing is look at an off the shelf one. But if you can afford it, talk to your boot fitter about what's going to be the best solution and then they will advise which way to go whether custom's going to work better or actually you're absolutely fine with an, an off-the-shelf field right that's brilliant al thanks very much for that i think it's really interesting and hopefully listener that's answered uh, your question and like i mentioned we did get uh, a lot of feedback about uh, that show and i do enjoy all feedback about the show so you know contact me on social at ski podcast or via email, theskipodcast at gmail.com. Mike Powell from uh, On Snowheads uh, said that Ski Boot Special was great episode, essential listening. Uh, board surfing, excellent episode. Bob in CH, who asked that question earlier, said Colin is hilarious as well as super knowledgeable. There were so many sound bites uh, in there. I really like that. Lane said another great episode. Keep up the good work. Uh, and Miranda Slater, I think she sent me an email. It might have been Facebook, said, I'm a great fan of your podcast. Love to listen when you drop new episodes. Thanks for all the insightful interviews. So, you know, listener, if you uh, have thoughts about the Ski Podcast, let us know. Uh, and listen, if you're listening for the first time, there's over 160 episodes to catch up with. I had a look and amazingly, 153 were listened to in the last week. And the only ones that weren't listened to were nine Pyeongchang Winter Olympic specials. I feel a bit sorry for them, but clearly they're not quite contemporary uh, anymore. And, and, you know, year on year, uh, number of listens are up 39%. So, you know, that's fantastic. Evidently, more people are listening to the episodes than uh, ever before. So, you know, that is great. And, and you know, if you enjoy the show, there's two things you can do to help. You know, give us a review. You know, you might hear people say this on other podcasts, but it genuinely does help other people find us. Apple Podcasts is the best way, but anywhere else you want to give us a review. And secondly, you're always welcome to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Uh, you know, let's have a lay do support the show, but essentially this is just a passion project uh, for me. You know, every episode takes, I don't know, five, six hours uh, of my time. But you know, I love it. And you know, I'll probably do it <laughs> even if no one uh, sponsored the podcast. Don't tell them that, though. So if you fancy buying me a coffee, you know, that would be uh, lovely. So we're just coming to the close now. Jen, I just wondered before we uh, sign off, what is your route going to be on uh, Saturday when those lifts open? You're going to, you know, said you're going to be there for the first lift. Where do you think you'll go? So uh, where will I go? I will probably have two little children in tow with me. <laughs> so uh, my kids are four and six. And I would preface that by saying the six-year-old probably skis better than me at this point and is joining the local club to sport this winter. So he'll be gone. Um, but with my four-year-old, we'll probably jump on the Boulevard chairlift, which is the green run, which is directly opposite near where I live in Plan Centre. And that will take us up into centre. And we'll do a few runs on that green slope to get comfortable and then probably up the Bergerie chairlift, which is to a nice cruisy blue run. 
And depending on how our ski legs have gone, we might head down into Belcott then. Um, Belcott is going to be where all the opening um, weekend parties are kind of happening. So I think there's some fun on the slopes there. So we might go and check that out and stop for a hot chocolate um, and catch up with some friends and things. And then fingers crossed, head up a little bit higher, maybe up towards the Roche de Mio and explore the higher levels and see what the snow's like up there. Cool. That sounds fantastic. And it's got me uh, very excited. And like I say, I keep saying it because I'm excited about it. It's been a long time since I've been in the Alps and since I've uh, been skiing. I'll be in uh, the Three Valleys, Arel and Val Sorens uh, next week. I'll be reporting on that in episode, I think it will be 164, but it might be 165. Possibly I'll release a, a special episode in between. I'm just waiting to get some confirmation about my potential uh, possible interviewee. But uh, in that uh, uh, next episode, I'm going to drop that probably on Christmas Eve. So you'll get one more podcast before Christmas. And I'm going to be joined by Sophie Ibbotson, who uh, will be telling us about skiing in Uzbekistan, which I'm really interested to uh, hear about uh, as well. But for the meantime, listener, uh, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at The Ski Podcast. I'd like to thank uh, Le Travelet for sponsoring the show. And I'd like to thank my guest today, Jen. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Always happy to talk about La Plan and snow and skiing. And Al. Thank you, Ian. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.